This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of May 22nd, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. The 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 is in less than a week, weather permitting. So I have a quick quiz about some of the better known recent drivers. Their names are Dan Weldon, Kyle Kirkwood, J.R. Hildebrand, Jay Howard, Sage Karam, Oliver Askew, Spencer Piggott, and Renus VK. What do they all have in common? They all competed in the USF 2000 series, which is one of the feeder series to the IndyCar series. They race open-wheel cars, very similar to IndyCars, and on a lot of the same tracks. The next step up is the USF Pro 2000 series. From there, a driver could go to the Indy Next series, previously known as Indy Lights, and the logical step up from there is IndyCar. One of our two guests today is Al Mori IV. He's 17 years old and a rookie in the USF 2000 series, competing for Indianapolis-based team J. Howard Driver Development. He lives in Fishers, and ever since he started racing carts at the age of nine, he has had his sights firmly on the upper rungs of professional racing. He passed a milestone earlier this month when he competed for the first time on the track at Indianapolis Motor Speedway and scored a personal best finish of seventh in USF 2000. That is not easy. When you think about it, very few people have ever raced an open-wheel car at 150 miles an hour at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Of course, one of the reasons is that racing is very expensive. Running a car for a full season in the USF 2000 series can easily run several hundred thousand dollars for the driver. That includes tires, engineering and mechanical services, parts and labor, track testing, and travel, food, and lodging. Drivers can defray some of those costs with sponsor dollars, but they typically have to arrange those relationships themselves. Al Mori's father, also named Al Mori, says the cost of this season could be anywhere between $400,000 and $700,000, depending, for example, on how often the car is damaged. I spoke with a father and son team about what it's like in the trenches of professional racing, the costs involved, and how they work together to secure sponsors. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Al Mori IV, a rookie in the USF 2000 Racing Series. Al, thank you for making time. Hey, thank you very much for having me. And we're joined by Al Mori III, his father. Thanks for inviting me over today. You're quite welcome. Thank you for being here. So, Al, <laughs> Al to my right, uh, you are on what they at least used to call the road to Indy, right? Which is this multi-rung ladder system that can take you from where kids usually begin, like the karting racing series, all the way to competing to the IndyCar series. And it seems like every year or every few months, even you reach a new level or you reach a new <laughs> rung on the, on the, on the ladder. But I would have to imagine that last weekend was a really big deal. You are a rookie in the USF 2000 series and you're racing Indianapolis motor speedway. I mean, it was only a few days ago, but what now stands out to you about that experience? Honestly, the whole thing of just being at home in front of friends and family and local sponsors here meant everything. I've been on plenty of tracks that are 
well known throughout the country and everything, but racing around Indianapolis Motor Speedway, there's just something special about it. Everyone always talks about, oh, you want to do well at Indy, you want to win at Indy, you want to race at Indy. And we did well at Indy, and we raced at Indy, so it was quite an experience, I think, that I'll never forget any of it. Had you ever tested on that track before? We did. We went there in October of last year for a two-day test, um, which was also surreal. You know, at the time, I had never driven there. So coming back there, we came in with a bit more experience and pace, so it made this weekend even better, actually. So yeah, two years ago, you were competing, I think, for the first time in outdoor karting. I was. Right, two years ago. <laughs> two years later, you're driving what is basically a smaller version of a regular IndyCar at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. How big a jump in driving is that? It's really big. You know, you can talk about go-karts being, yeah, mine will do 70-ish miles an hour, right? And then this car does 150, which, you know, it seems, okay, double the speed, but at the same time, it's everything about it's quicker. The cornering, the braking, the acceleration, everything about the car is more physical to drive. So coming up that quickly, there's a lot of things to adapt to very quickly and different driving styles, different race craft as to how to race your opponents and things. So coming up quickly, it's just, you just have to learn very, very fast. This is what can and can't be done. So there's just so much more at stake as well. I mean, if you're going like wheel to wheel on a cart, um, I mean, the, the consequences there of a problem aren't that great. I would assume in this car, the consequences are very large. <laughs> yes. You know, in a, in a go-kart, yeah, you can knock wheels together and, you know, maybe go off the track a little bit. In the car, if you go off the track, there's a lot of momentum there. You're just going to keep going for a little while. And especially if you start to knock wheels and you start to get airborne with the car. So you got to be careful not to do that. We see that in Indianapolis this way. Not me, luckily, but uh, my friends had his car got another car ramped over the top of them because of wheel to wheel contact. So there's a lot that goes on with the cars that doesn't happen so much in karting. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Explain kind of what happened last weekend. They they called that the Indy Grand Prix, I take it. And it was an event in the USF 2000 series. Uh, but they, and it's like the fifth event of the season. Uh, third event. Third event. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there were three different races yes. that you competed in. Why Why do they have more than one race? Well, they do it because our races are a bit shorter, obviously, than IndyCar. IndyCar, I think, did 85 laps. Ours are only 15 laps. Um, so they do it more, and that gives us as drivers more opportunity to learn as well. You know, if we only do one race and then say someone takes you out or whatever on the third lap, congratulations, you just finished three laps in a whole weekend. So three laps, I think, gives us more of an opportunity to really develop ourselves, which is really the whole part of whole point, excuse me, of the USF series is to get us ready for the faster cars and eventually lead to IndyCar. So if that experience is taken away by only having one race, then it starts to get complicated. As oh, I only got to do so many laps here. I didn't, I didn't get to take everything I needed to out of the weekend because I couldn't compete in the same amount of laps as what I should have. So you finished all three races? I did. How'd you do? The first race on Friday went very well. I had a mishap in qualifying. I started 18th, um, but it was able to drive up to 7th at the end of the race, which was a new uh, career best in USF 2000 for me. Uh, so we were very happy with that. Saturday didn't go quite as planned. I was running, I believe, in 10th, and I was taken out into turn 10. Someone... Um, went for a gap that just simply wasn't there and drove right on the side of me. So that was disappointing. I did end up finishing just two laps down. Um, certainly not really what I wanted. I haven't finished laps down before, so that was kind of kind of upsetting. But tried to clear my head enough so that race three would go okay. Tried to set some fast laps at the end to qualify then for uh, race three. I think I believe I started 15th. No, nothing amazing, but salvaged from race two. We figured that'd be okay. And I got up to 10th within first or second lap, so it was moving along pretty well. Caution came out, and on the restart, someone came, uh, there was a 
someone checked up in front of me so i hit him and then got hit from the rear so oh. it, it ended up bending the back of the car up pretty well i finished 13th with a pretty bent up car so it was a salvage race to be honest i think we would have been in the top 10 but we'll take 13th not where we really want to be but for the car's condition i think it was an okay result so now what happens to the car right now yeah oh <laughs> uh, well my uh my engineers have a not a super difficult job putting it back together but they've got some parts to repair and um just replace to be honest because there's only so much you can do with bent bits on a race car so unfortunately yeah there's going to be some some bills coming in for the car but they'll get it all put back together for lucas no problem yeah again i'm not an expert my understanding of the, of these cars right up to the indycar level is i mean they're kind of like lego sets almost i mean you can you can <laughs> switch out these parts very easily yes um and so i mean if something is broken you just take it out switch another one in mm -hmm. you can pretty much do that what's nice about the car is that the whole thing's built around the tub that we sit in the carbon fiber tub so say you break a you run into something and break the nose off the car there's four bolts that take the nose and the wing off the car you put a new one on and keep going it's not quite what you see in formula one you know they take it off in four seconds put a new one on it takes us a little bit longer but come to something like in qualifying i'll put this during an example i bent a tie rod with some contact and that takes a little longer to repair, probably 15, 20 minutes or so if they really got to it, but not something that can usually be repaired during a race. So the car comes in, they repair it, and it's all good for the next race. It's just not super, super quick, but it can be done. So you were one of several drivers at the Indian Grand Prix competing for Jay Howard driver development. Tell me a little bit about Jay Howard driver development. What is that? And how does how did that relationship come about? Sure. So Jay Howard, I'll start with him. He's the heart of our team, right? So he uh, he was an IndyCar driver and competed in three Indy 500s himself. And before that, he raced in USF 2000, just as as I am, has, I think, the fourth most wins in history in USF 2000. Skipped what's now USF Pro 2000, went to Indy Lights, now Indy Next, and became the champion there and went to IndyCar. So his motorsport experience is there's a lot of it. He has quite a bit of experience, which is very helpful as a team owner because he's been there through everything that we've been through already. He can help us through just about anything that comes up. And he's built himself an amazing team around him that helps us as well, mechanics and engineers and crew and all that. And so what he does is takes drivers from karting like myself, and his first step is Formula 4. That That's his first his entry-level car. And then from there, he'll send you to USF 2000, which he also has, and then on to USF Pro 2000. And from there, if the driver has enough pace and talent and whatnot, he has contacts in Indy Next that he can send you on to. My friend Christian Rasmussen that won two years with uh, Jay Howard uh, was sent on to Andretti Motorsport at the end because Jay Howard has no Indy Next car, so he sent him to Andretti. Um, which he's had a very successful career on so far. I think he's leading the points right now, actually, in Indy Next in his second year. Now, for the next part, I'm going to rely a little bit more on Al the Third. I'm not an expert by any means, but yeah. my understanding is that to be competitive as a racer, you also need money. That is true. <laughs> this is not a stick and ball sport. Yeah, no. It's incredibly equipment intensive. Absolutely. Can you estimate for me how much is it going to cost for Al to race this full season in USF 2000? You know, it's it's hard to put an exact number on it. You, you sign a contract with your team, uh, but that that includes races. Uh, usually, and it depends on the contract. Sometimes they include tires, sometimes they don't. So you may pay for tires during during the year. You also will then pay for testing. So testing includes getting the car there, having your crew there, fuel, tires, uh, track fees. 
So all those add up. So you have to look at how many test sessions you're going to have. Then there's travel on top of that. So a good number can be anywhere from four hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Wow, big range. Yeah, yeah, and that just depends because a lot of that too is damage. Because if something happens to the car, that's not included. So you end up paying that price. So that could be as little as bend a few parts in the front end or as one of our teammates did down in Sebring, destroyed the entire car. The only thing left was the tub and the halo, thank God. He was fine. Uh, but everything else, engine, transmission, tires, wings, everything else was destroyed. So the team owns the car? Yes. We basically, it's, it's kind of like a lease. We just pay them up front and say, okay, we're, we want the car for the year. And then he provides everything we need to actually be at the race. So all the, yeah, all the stuff that you would need to race, like you said, gasoline, for example. Exactly. Mechanic help. Yep. Parts. Yep. And, and that is going to, all going to Jay Howard Driver yes. Development, right? Yes. So you are paying him for the ability to create your career. Correct. Essentially. Correct. Yeah. Instead of, of those- instead of buying a car and running your own team, which is even more expensive. Right, which would be possible if you wanted to. You, you oh, absolutely, yeah. you can. Uh, but running a one-car team is is really difficult, and your costs escalate uh, because instead of having them spread out amongst many, now you have to focus just on one, and all those people are there for that. So you're paying that engineer just for you. Whereas when we're leasing a car from Jay, the engineer works with my son. He works with uh, Eva Goris. He works with Lockie Hughes. So you know, that spreads that cost out some. Gotcha. And so, yeah, so you have the, the uh, what to call it, the expertise of a giant team, mm-hmm. I mean, relatively giant team. Correct. Uh, to help you get where you want to go. Correct. Literally. <clears throat> but then on top of that, uh, you are traveling, for example. Mm-hmm. So you need to get yourself to wherever, Pete, wherever in the country is. Right. Yeah, First race of the season was St. Pete, probably. St. Pete. St. Pete, Florida. Correct. Right. Uh, you got to buy your own food, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, Jay, Jay does, Jay does serve lunch, you know, oh, for the okay. guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, as far as breakfast, dinner, you're on your own. But the big bulk of it is is what you have agreed to pay Jay Howard. Correct. For the ability to race a car. Correct. Essentially, and all the things that you would right. need for a car. For him to provide us with the opportunities. Right. Yes. And then the end game is to be another major IndyCar racer or F1 racer where you have renown, you have 10 million followers, <laughs> you have sponsors who want to throw money at you, and then, then your career really takes off. Is, is, am I gathering that right? Just about, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. I think more of the thrill comes from actually racing for me. The followers are one thing. We love our fans, but it's, it's more personal for me. It's, it's about driving, and the money comes along with it. You hope so, at least. But I think for any true driver, it's it's more than just the money that comes from the contract. So to defray the costs, you have relationships with sponsors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you guys have to go out and get your own sponsors. Yes. Um, Jay has some sponsors that cover the entire team. He brought some of those along from his indie career. When he decided to retire, he wanted to build this driver development team so some of the some of the sponsors came along with him to help him with that so that also helps defer some of our costs which is nice uh, but as far as the rest of it yes we we continually look for sponsors for for partnerships more than just 
giving money. You know, a lot of people go out and just put their hand out. That's not what we're interested in. We're interested in building things that that Al could help represent and and make them feel like they're getting something too. It's not. It, we don't want it to be a one way street because that's not how it should work. Yeah, I didn't get the impression that um, it's it's as simple as like, hey, you're my sponsor. I'll put your name on my car. Thank you. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> really a whole. Uh, I mean, a relationship that needs to be built where, I mean, they really kind of feel like they're a part of the team. Yes. Yes. And you want them to be excited about it. And uh, in our case, you know, use Al as as someone to advertise for them, to come to events, to to do things that will invite, especially at his age at 17. He's good with not only people that are older, but he's very good with children. So it, it kind of brings a new group into whoever we are working with at the time. So in, in our case of with Indie Boat Company, uh, you know, he, he, we actually have one of their boats and uh, Al is very good with the kids and the kids are the ones you want to bring along because the parents have a boat, but when the kids get older, they're going to want a boat and they're going to remember working with Al or talking to him. And, and that's what we try to do is try to make that so it's a, it's a good two-way street. But again, you guys are going out and forging those relationships yes. independent of Jay Howard. Yes. And so, I mean, the sky is the limit. If you guys were the world's greatest marketers, they potentially all could pay for itself. Oh, somehow. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, any any racer will tell you, you don't go into it to get rich right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a long ladder you got to climb to uh, get to that point. But, uh, you know, for Al at this point in his career, I know what drives him is the actual drive. There's there's something when he gets in that car that just clicks and then he takes off and I, I just don't worry about it. So he's he's in it all the time because he loves racing. It's not because he wants followers or he wants kids at school to think he's cool or any of this. It's because he has an absolute love for what he's doing. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and my conversation with USF 2000 driver Al Mori IV and his father, Al Mori III. Your sponsors, who are they? So my three main sponsors right now, we'll start with my first one, which is Indie Boat Co. So they're a boat dealership here in the Indianapolis area. Uh, they take care of my boat over the winter time. They take care of a lot of boats. They deal boats just like a car dealership does, but with boats. Uh, they do a very good job. They've been friends of ours for more than just the time that I've been racing. So they were they were very welcome to coming on board and <laughs> on board. Didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> very um, good. Pun not intended. <laughs> um, but they've been super supportive. My second one was my Uncle Carl's Bar in uh, Sarasota, Florida. It'd be Rafferty's Bar and Grill. He's been in my life for as long as I've been alive. So he was, I was very happy to bring him aboard. And, uh, 
have his name on the side of the car. That meant a lot to us. And then our third one that we have right now is Reese Nichols Jewelers. BJ Nichols is a very big motorsport fan himself. He's got a Porsche team. So we went and approached him. We've done a lot of business there in the past. And we sat down with him, I think, for over an hour and just talked about motorsport, which was lovely, more than just talking about sponsorships and whatnot. It was nice to have – that's part of the relationship building we're talking about, just talking about racing or talking about whatever it might be. But it's nice to have a supporter like BJ with Reese Nichols that knows what it's all about and knows what we're up against with trying to find sponsors and things. So we're very happy to have him aboard as well. So, Al, I would assume that – a lot of your job is continuing just to, to shake the trees and trying to see what else you can come up with. Pretty much every day, always trying to think of where we might fit in with a company. Uh, right now, we're, we're negotiating with uh, a couple of national companies that we're trying to bring on board for entire years long uh, relationship. Uh, but it's always a challenge to find them to want to release those funds. Uh, again, it, part of it's proving what we can do for them. And as Al's getting better all the time and finishing higher, that means he is seen more. And the more you can show, the better you go. So uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much every day I'm trying to figure out and I didn't go to school for marketing, but I'm trying to figure out who can we approach? What, you know, what can we offer them? How can we get them to jump on board? And uh, luckily, I have someone that's really well-spoken that is not afraid to get in front of people and explain what we're doing. Uh, so here, here's the indelicate question. I, I'm assuming that uh, the sponsors that you currently have really do not cover that full $400,000 to $700,000. So you probably have pretty good savings in order to handle the cost this season? Of, of mine? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, you guys are covering the yeah. vast majority yeah, of I, this. Yeah, I cover almost all of it. Right. And then what did you do when you're – you're retired now, but what did you do? I worked uh, in construction, residential construction for years. I worked for Paul Estridge. I worked for Zaring when they came to town. Uh, I worked for Rotland uh, for some time and then uh, just formed my own – consulting company after that i really just wanted to spend more time with him so because my dad died when i was real young he died when uh, he was 63 and uh, so i wanted to do what i could to spend time with him and that's kind of the way i set myself up and so one day i made the mistake of taking him to <laughs> k1 and that was that i've tried to get him on to badminton he won't do it <laughs> but uh, what's wrong with that nah, it's not fast enough <laughs> yeah, that, that would make sense so great so you've been you've had a very successful career mm -hmm. hardworking, and also fortunate enough that that you can pay this kind of money yes. which is i mean really not in you know the realm of possibility for a lot of people yeah oh no it's 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 still a stretch i mean every day hurts when you get <laughs> an invoice and you look at it and you go wow Okay, well, send him a check. So that's, you know, we knew that going in. Uh, my wife and I had discussed it. And, uh, you know, we want to do everything we can to give him his dream. And he's very humble about it. He doesn't take it for granted. He doesn't, you know, expect it. He just is thrilled every second he gets to be in a race car. And um, so this, this time now, you know, we said, yeah, we can do this. And we should be able to get into next year. But we've got to find some money to help us get through the series. You feel comfortable going to the end of this year and at least starting the following mm -hmm. year? Yes, we do. 
does that put pressure on you to perform? I think there's pressure all the time as a driver. I don't, I don't see it as a as a desperate situation. You know, I think a lot of drivers have that sort of desperate situation. Is if I don't win, I'm not going to get any attention, and we won't have enough funds to start next year. I feel comfortable enough that we are fortunate enough to have enough to get me going in the proper way. Nothing too. We're not, I'll put it this way: we're not setting unrealistic goals that are putting way too much pressure on me behind the wheel of a car, um, because I've seen it with my own eyes: the driver being pressured too much and then not performing to what we know we can do. So I I look at it as I'm going to perform to my, the best of my abilities, but I'm not going to try to overextend myself in any way that could end up in harm to the car or just backwards sliding really. Because if you overdrive the car, then you wreck the car and then you're out even more money and then that worsens the situa- situation. So that really didn't help anything. <laughs> for sure. So what is the next rung that you're shooting for? What is the goal for you now? So the next next rung next year we're definitely going to stay in usf 2000 i need more experience there but then after that hopefully uh usf pro 2000 which is a step right below any next it's based off the same tub that we have so the same chassis if you if you want to call it a chassis um the same motor just with more horsepower it's got more aerodynamics they're about five to six seconds depending on the track a lap faster than our cars are now um and that pretty much continues up the ladder as they pretty much get five-ish seconds faster a lap as you keep going so that car is similar to ours but also very different to ours and how it handles and drives and things so going up to that step will be a good step won't be anything too huge or anything i don't think um but it'll definitely be a good step so if you win the championship uh where you currently are the usf 2000 there i mean there's a pretty good prize there is what is that that's a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar check for you that goes directly into then paying for the usf pro 2000 series for next year oh so that's graduation right there yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds very glamorous but we're not walking away with four hundred fifty thousand in our pockets going hey look at me oh. you just kind of you put it to the next year and it's it's kind of a series helping you along so you can progress as well more like a scholarship yes the so scholarship okay yeah. that makes yeah. a lot of sense so they're saying okay you have done great Keep going. You keep going. Yes. You're a rookie next year and in the graduate school of racing. Right. And, <laughs> and this money is going to go to graduate yes. school. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> but you don't necessarily have to win to move up. You don't. Um, I'll put this as an example. Someone who's very talented I've seen on track, Miles Rowe, who's in the USF Pro 2000 series now. He was in USF 2000 last year. And I think he missed the championship by like five points or so. Like it wasn't a lot, but he's very, very talented. He's already won, I think, three of the five races this year for him. So you don't have to win. It's that you see that there's pace there that you can move up. So in the meantime, you still have to take your senior year of high school. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All my spare time. In your spare time. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. how, How has that been? I mean, balancing. I mean, what I'm sure is a very demanding I guess you would call this an avocation with, with, you know, trying to be a great student. Right. I mean, this year's my junior year. And a lot of people say that junior year is the hardest year of high school. Of course, I won't know until I graduate. Uh, but it's definitely a grind. I'm not going to say it's easy or that it's not any work at all. I mean, most weeks, I'll put it this way. The week of my first race in St. Petersburg, I missed the entire week of school. So coming back, teachers this year have been super cool. They've just said, hey, don't worry about it. Focus on your driving we'll catch you up when you get back, which is super nice to be honest. And then I usually have the same amount of days that I was gone to make it up, whatever it is, but usually just assignments and things, say for St. Petersburg, I missed five days, I was done in three. So there's certainly a level of work that comes into it, 
my time management is certainly better coming out of all of this um, going into senior year. That's something helpful I think will be a life skill as well. But I've got study halls and things and every minute of those is being used for work as it can be and using teachers help to my advantage when I can and just allotting time to different assignments and when saying, oh, I can't do a test at home, but I can do this assignment at home. So if I do that now, then I'll have time to do the test at school. So there's things that I've learned how to do assignments quickly at school, but properly, because I'm not just going to do work to get it out of the way. It's always done properly. Uh, it's something that's really important to me. So it's something I'm ever getting better at of getting work done when it needs to be done. And what's funny sometimes is I get things done even before my friends who have been there for the entire week. So And so I'm your friends, I'm sure right now, are fielding questions from their relatives about where they want to go to college. Is that something that you conversation you guys are also having? Now? Absolutely. We've gone and visited just Purdue so far. We're going to visit. We want to stay in the Indiana area because of headquarters are here and more the racing capital of the world. I don't really want to go anywhere. Yeah. So many of the racing teams are based here. Right. right. So it wouldn't be too logical for me to move out of state. But definitely going to college, not exactly sure what for yet, but it's certainly something that needs to be done. So. so that's something you definitely plan to be doing in your senior year is continuing to apply to colleges and then going to college. Yes, Absolutely. sir. And, and, and Al Sr. here is nodding his head very approvingly like, Absolutely. yes, you're definitely going to college. Well, his mother's a teacher at uh, HSE. She's, okay. <laughs> she's a kindergarten teacher. So she's always handled the education side of it. I handle the rest. But uh, yeah, we, we told him that years ago. When, when racing started, I said school's first, racing second. When you get, you know, you can race all through school. And, you know, if something happens in the middle of college and he ends up going uh, to some big league somewhere, that's what it's going to be. And he can come back to school, but he's got to go to school. We, and education's important. And I, you guys know better than I do, but I feel like I've heard stories of maybe some Indy Next drivers who also go to school at least part-time, like a Butler, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people have come from Butler, as you know, Doug Bowles and uh, Ed Carpenter, Sarah Fisher. There's a lot of people that have gone to Butler and they have a uh, racing program now, I guess, uh, in marketing and uh, public speaking, of course, they've always been, had a radio and TV uh, division, but a lot of things may work out for him. So we're we're looking into that too. So there definitely will be could be a combination of school and racing. Uh, Correct. A couple years from now. Correct for college. Okay. Absolutely. Wow. Speaking as as a, also a father. <laughs> okay. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I am so stressed out about how much school school costs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but you know that's all part of it. There's got to be a racing scholarship somewhere. We'll we'll see. I mean, <laughs> we we have hired a um, boy. I don't know what they call them, quite honestly, but it's someone that helps us find those types of things and will help us with filling out some of the information and and so we can get him in the right place at the right time. But yeah, it's not cheap. There's no doubt. So it is Tuesday. You don't have a race this weekend, but you do the following weekend? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so we have one. I think we're testing on Thursday, just like a general, hey, come drive on the track again, get it back familiar. We've only done two days of this track. What makes this this weekend going to be a bit different than regulars is this is an oval race. I've never done an oval race before, so that extra testing day on Thursday um, will be will be quite beneficial for me to be able to drive. So Friday we race at night, which also makes us unique. So it'll be 8.30 
p.m., which will be the race. So I think we'll be under the lights by then. I think the sun will be pretty close. So I'm looking forward to that, and that'll be our last race in May. That's outstanding. <laughs> That's going to be so exciting. I'm excited. My God. So in this is the Oval at Lucas Oil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Under the lights. Okay. Wow, I'm jealous as hell. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you just in closing, uh, for somebody who is karting right now or is even the young kid just uh, really wants to get into racing, what is the one thing that you could tell them right now that would be helpful? Progress is everything. You know, you can you don't have to go out one day and shave. Let's say you're going out to Newcastle Motorsports Park, which is where I like to go kart. You don't have to go out there and shave off a second a day of your time to be suddenly fast you know as long as you're making progress and you have a clear goal as to where you want to be in short years time or what you want to do i think that's most important because if you don't have a goal it's hard to visualize what you need to be doing to get to that goal and if you're having tough time visualizing what it is that you're supposed to be doing then i think some of the thoughts in racing could get lost in terms of needing to improve so i think as long as you're improving and you have a goal i think that's what's important did you always have this goal you know, I wanted to be a, a part of racing from a young age. I always would watch IndyCar, especially with Dad, and NASCAR and drag racing and Formula 1. You named it. We watched it if it had wheels and raced. That's what started me getting into the indoor karting was I wanted to do some sort of racing. But I knew as soon as I saw one of those open-wheel cars in Jay's shop when we first went up there, I was like, oh, I got to drive one of those. And when I first got to drive one, then it turned into, oh, I got to race one of these. So, so. <laughs> so the road just... <laughs> opened up in front of you and you've been on that road ever since and yes so you, sir it has not been confusing to you about what you want no sir no it's been let's go do it <laughs> all right well, all right seat time's important that is true i mean a k1 he's already run uh, over 600 races 700 now 700 mm-hmm. so he's i mean seat time's the biggest thing the more time you can put in, the more you're going to get down to those little bitty. You're looking at some points for you're looking for tens, hundreds, thousands, and it sounds crazy, but that's what you're trying to do by moving your car just this little bit to pick that up. And so seat times, seat times, another big one. And uh, even going back to spending time at Newcastle, or he still races at K1, that's just more seat time. And more input on how to drive. So that that's that's probably that's an important one. Seat time, certainly, I agree yeah. with that. Because even for Newcastle, I mentioned before that driving a go kart is certainly a lot different than driving the race car. But at Newcastle, the seat time that Dad was talking about it keeps your reaction sharp as well. And just having some of those things, even steering inputs, you know, it, you got to keep some of those. Like over the winter time when I can't be in a race car, go up to K1, keep the skills sharp, get the seat time in, and try to improve in things that I can drive better. So, my thanks again to Al the Fourth and Al the Third. You can read more about their challenges in the USF 2000 series in the latest issue of IBJ. And, folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few other features in the latest issue I want to bring to your attention. First up, India-based tech giant Emphasis lit up Indianapolis like a fireworks show in 2018, spotlighting its plans for a $245 million, 141-acre campus and jobs for 3,000 local employees. As IBJ's Susan Orr reports, the reality, five years later, is considerably dimmer. 
Also in this week's issue, Mickey Shuey unpacks the economics of buying corporate suites at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, including the cost to suite holders and the potential returns. And John Russell examines the possible ramifications of a new state law that aims to help Hoosiers get more affordable prescription drugs. You can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or, of course, online at IBJ.com. And I will say it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And you may not know that we have wrapped all of IBJ's content together now with all of the stories and columns and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business. And now it works out to just about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.